Hi, welcome to the Accidental Marketer Podcast. I'm Mary Abazia, and I'm joined by Tom Spitali, uh, who is the uh, co-author of Accidental Marketer, my partner. Sean Willem uh, also is with us, and he heads up our European operation for our consulting firm, the Impact Planning Group. Um, hi, Tom. Hi, Sean. Hey, Mary. Hey, Mary. So we, uh, this podcast is designed for accidental marketers, and uh, that may be you or maybe somebody that you're uh, working with or trying to work with. So uh, we're going to continue on our series. Uh, we're deep diving into chapters of the book, The Accidental Marketer, and now we're at chapter eight, and the title of this one is Viva la Differentiation, um, and it's, it is about the fun, sexy uh, reason that we really do any of this is is to differentiate and it is allowing us to change the game in our favor um we tom opened the book with a story and i love the story because it's real it's true uh we were planning one of our planning sessions and um like we always do we try to talk to customers before we get in a room and say what should we do and not do and um, Ginny Ertle had been our client for several years and knew and a friend. She's our friend now, too. Um, and she knew us well enough to be very honest with us. And so she gave us a lot of great feedback. And at the core of it, she said, you know, you guys have a skill for helping people figure out what their differentiation is. And so we kind of laughed. We said our differentiation is helping companies differentiate. So um, that really helped us think about, you know, and we heard it from other clients, just not as as clearly as when Jenny laid it out for us. So that allowed us to then go into our meeting and, and build on it. So Tom, do you want to add to that story? Yeah, I think it was really cool. It was like, uh, uh, with, with the way Jenny said it was, you know, you guys do all these tools, you know, representative of the previous podcast and, and all the tools that we've talked about to to this point. And, and she said, and and people think they have a plan, but then you ask them the question, you know, what makes you different? <laughs> and they go, um, not quite sure. <laughs> and she said, that's what you guys are really good at. Not only do you help them to, 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 to figure out, you know, their markets and their customers, but you really help them figure out how they can reach those markets and those customers with, you know, the critical capabilities that maybe only that they can provide in a way that's uh, sustainable. So um, it, it helped us to understand that our differentiation is indeed differentiation, helping companies to find it, to measure it, and to actually maximize it. Yeah, and that, so, so the point is, is as best practice, if you are doing a planning session, talking to customers, and some of the tools like the ability to compete allow you to bring that input into your planning session. Um, there are, we, you know, there's a lot of ways, but um, in the book, Tom, you outlined three ways to differentiate. Can you describe those, uh, those three key ways? Yeah, one is the most uh, simple and straightforward. We, we call it uh, just do it better. Uh, it's a function of really looking at a tool that we covered two podcasts ago called the ability to compete and seeing the really important things that customers care about where none of the competitors, including yourself, are really truly unique or better at it and just really upping the ante and becoming significantly better at a known benefit sought. We often talk about Hyundai 
how a few years back they took the the standard uh, benefits sought of of um, service or uh, the critical capability of warranty that everybody was offering just about in the same way for the same length of time you know uh, two years and 36,000 miles and upped it to 10 years and 100,000 miles they took something that was known in the marketplace that customers already knew that they wanted and just upped the ante and differentiated themselves significantly in that particular area. So that's, that's an example of that kind of differentiation. The second category uh, of differentiation is reorienting the customer, and that is um, about taking something that customers do care about but maybe don't put enough emphasis on and ethically showing them that they should care more about that thing, that benefit sought, particularly because you have an advantage in it and it should be important to them. And we talk a lot in the book, I won't go into it deeply here, but we talk about how Nike reoriented uh, the shoe market when they first came, uh, the, the, the sporting shoe, tennis shoe, gym shoe market when they first came on the scene. Uh, away from functional uh, types of benefits around uh, to to more emotional, you know, being cool, uh, and and we all know that they've done that really well. Third category is hardest called change the rules. It's about really totally upending um, a, a a product uh, category or a market. And I've talked long enough. I'm going to ask Sean to talk a little bit about an example here. Yeah, breaking the rules is um, sometimes the most dramatic. Uh, changed in the business landscape when someone just does something differently and it takes off um most recent example is if you think about the the way we consume tv shows and films um that whole market's had a couple of of change the rules moments i mean when i was a kid you you had to go to the movies to see a movie or you would wait until that was released to one of the tv networks and watch it at home on a, a fairly small screen and then we had the advent of video and, and video suddenly you go to blockbuster and you could pick and choose the film and watch it sort of on demand when you wanted plug it into the vcr so that changed the rules a little bit but then an outfit called netflix came along and their value proposition was don't drive to the video rental store don't worry about fines if you're a couple of days late returning it we'll send you a dvd through the mail and then when you finish watching it, you mail it back and you can order another one. So their DVD by mail was a game change. And of course, so far, we've seen incoming businesses, newcomers that change the rules. But what Netflix did remarkably is they changed their own rules. They took the DVD by post, by mail model, and turned it into the streaming on demand, which is now so successful. And they've gone from strength to strength. I, I read recently there, they're spending $12 billion on original content. I mean, that's remarkable. And they, their business was mailing out DVDs that other people had produced. And in fact, their increase in production budget is bigger. It's like a $3 billion increase. is bigger than the BBC's over here, their entire production budget. So they're an absolute monster of a business. But they've got there by changing the rules. And I guess the point is, don't wait for someone else to come in and disrupt and change the rules you know maybe who's who better positioned to disrupt your own industry to, to somebody who's already in it and you don't see that as often as maybe you should but it's, i think it's a great example of someone that did just that and by the way just as a footnote they still have the dvd by post 
business model in the US. It still functions today. And they have about 64 million in uh, revenue in that business. Some people just like like the Blu-rays coming through the post. They never killed the business. It's just been absolutely overwhelmed with the new model. What a great example. Oh my, and um, I want to be your partner in the next Trivia Pursuit contest. <laughs> you you are Mr. Fun Facts. That was, you know, I, I didn't even know all that about it. And Uber, we always hear that Uber is um, is disrupting and, and changing the game in their favor. And when we ask this question up front, we hear um, Amazon a lot lately, you know, in, in every market, even oil and gas, we see it everywhere. So, um, so yeah, so there's a lot of companies, it seems like Tom, that are trying to change the rules and, and, and doing quite well. Um, do you want to go talk more about some of the examples that you're seeing, um, even in, in the classroom on any of these three, Tom? Well, I, I, I think we talked about it on an earlier pa podcast, but it's, 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 um, it's worth mentioning, Mary, you kind of alluded to it, that um, a lot of companies in B2B industrial businesses are seeing that companies like Amazon, Google, or just small you know, data startups are changing the rules in their business, they're coming in. Um, and taking pieces of uh, the analytical business that big incumbents used to be able to monetize and, and offering to, to, to provide insights and, and um, I, I guess, optimal, maximal production kind of algorithms to clients. And they're, they're sort of changing the rules. And it's forcing these companies to do something that Sean alluded to, which is you've got to step back um, and look at how these companies are changing industries and figuring out if you can disrupt your own market before somebody else does it. Sean and I both worked uh, at GE back in the Jack Welsh days. That's dating us a little bit, but there was this exercise that Jack Welsh wanted every business to go through called destroy your business, which was an exercise to really think about this kind of thing. You know, if, uh, if you were a well-funded startup, how would you you know, how would you cannibalize or eat your own business and, and figuring out how to change the rules um, before, you know, someone else does it and, and, and how to eat yourself before somebody else eats you. Yeah, Tom, you also, um, the, there's other tools that we use for helping people um, figure out how to change the rules. Did you want to talk about any of those, um, those tools that we, or techniques that we use? Well, we got to give a, a, um, a shout out to our friend Brian Mattimore, an, an author in the innovation space and a, a, a guy that we, we work with uh, for this particular technique that we found. Um, it used to be that when we got to that third category of changing the rules, we would say to our workshop participants, like, this is something that you'll discover you know, when you're on a jog or you're in the shower or when you wake up in the middle of the night, so make sure you have a you know, pen and paper by your bed. Um, and so we wouldn't spend a lot of time in putting pressure on people to come up with a lot of change the rules kinds of ideas in the confines of a couple of day workshop. And then we discovered this, this technique called the worst idea. And I, 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 I won't go into it deeply other than to say um, people have a lot of fun generating really bad instead of really good ideas to solve the business challenge that they're working on. They have a lot of fun with it. 
But what we find is, is that once they've generated a lot of bad ideas and we've had some good laughs about it, that a subset of those ideas with just a little twist or a little bit of, of a turn turns into a really great innovative and change the rules type of idea. It works about 60% of the time. So um, it, it, the, the worst idea is something that we use almost every workshop that we encounter, and we encourage all of our clients to use it in any kind of creative or innovative type meeting that, uh, that they are conducting. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, I, I love that one. It does. I think when people laugh, they get more creative. So that's one of the ways that, that we unlock it. Um, Sean, we talk a lot about the whole product, and I, it's worthy in this conversation to, to talk a little bit about that and why it's helpful when you're thinking about differentiating. Can you touch on that? Yeah, you know, it goes back to, um, I've just had a complete mental uh, brain gap now. What was the name of the guy? Ted who did Levitt. The it's a Ted, Ted Levitt. Yeah. yeah, thank you. I couldn't think of his name. I was thinking, is the marketing myopia guy, isn't he? But anyway, his basic model, which said that you have a core product which remains the same across any industry that serves that particular product. But surrounding it are different levels of, if, if you like, differentiation. So you've got levels of, 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 um, of additional product, of augmented product, of services, of consultancy. And the further away you get from this central core product, the more the total product is very unique and different. One of the most accessible examples I use in the classroom is Starbucks because essentially they sell coffee, right? And that's not new. That's been going on since 1645, I think, was the first <laughs> coffee shop. What they made, and that's not quarter to five in military time. That is like way back in Shakespeare's day. But they, they actually said... Um, Let's add to that. And you think about the Starbucks experience, you know, the, 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 the cracked leather chairs, the bookcases, the ambience that goes with it, that sort of third place model. It's not work, it's not home, but it's sort of a hybrid. They, that differentiates them. And then, of course, they're, they're advocates of, um, of sharing information on, on everything you wanted to know about coffee but was afraid to ask, you know, why are coffee beans green and how do you roast them they offer wi-fi and so forth and, and all of a sudden this total product is not selling coffee it's it's a unique starbucks business model and that applies to every business maybe not as obviously as, as the example that i use but every business has a core product but they surround it with that augmentation with those services and you can't always differentiate you can't make better coffee you can't make the coffee necessarily taste that much better. There's a limit to how you can improve a core product. But the further away you get from that core and still maintain it as a whole product, a whole offering, the, the scope is enormous. And that's where we find most differentiation works is not in the, the core of the product attributes, but in the surrounding total offer, mm. which is the way I think of it. Yeah. Tom, do you want to add to that? So often we work um, outside of the markets of, the, of the, the home office of a company, and we're working with the, the affiliates around the world who literally have no power at all to differentiate or change the core product that they're selling. It's the decision is made elsewhere. And, and, and that's why this whole product that Sean's talking about is so key to differentiation. It's when you get to maybe the packaging level, you know, the augmented product, maybe not, but when you get to the service 
level and, and being able to be creative in a particular market about how you communicate value in your local market, how you put together programs that surround the product and drive you know, trial and usage and, and, and loyalty. That often is the only opportunity for some of our clients to differentiate and, and, and that, is, that is the key to it really and what opens up and unlocks their ability to add their creativity to what is essentially a fixed core product. Yeah, I think uh, to your point, one of my one of my favorite times was when we were working with a group and they looked at stakeholders and they realized that if they leveraged the bank and the insurance companies, they actually could differentiate themselves through access and in the ways that they were going to market because the core product was as you said, it was everything was pretty much the same, but they found differentiation in in that way. So it's, um, I, I think that's what makes this whole topic and marketing and strategy so interesting and so much fun. It's hard to do, but boy, when you get it right, it, you, it, it will pay off. So it's, um, it's an exciting topic. Um, but you know, sometimes also it can be a cumulative effect of very, very small things. I worked with a bank once uh, a little while ago. This was probably back when, when, when people had to go into the branch and, and you often had um, pens at the at the counter for filling out checks and whatnot and they were on a chain so as you, know, you you literally couldn't take the pen with you right it was chained to the counter a really tiny thing like that which many of us remember but obviously kids there used to be things called banks out there that you had to walk through the door but don't worry about that but the fact is that one of this guy's points of difference was not only to not chain the pens but to create a branded pen that had the bank's name on it and actually have a like a jar full of these pens, almost like take a pen. And even though that was such a tiny thing, if you think about the core product of a bank, you know, the deposit guarantee, the bank system, the, the branch system rather, he differentiated once when like I say it's it's like a it's a cumulative effect of lots of little things. But it always struck me as being the example of you can't do much about the banking regulations, but heck you can give them a free pen. And just differentiate yourself saying, we don't treat you like a common thief and have to chain <laughs> our stuff down. We're going to give you a pen. And, and I thought, you know, sometimes when we look for the big differentiation, we look for the big idea. Sometimes a lot of little ideas also build that total mm -hmm. product. Walk out with the pens, but not the money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. Unless you've got a mascot and a, and you do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sure. okay. We're going to wrap this up. Um thank you very much for joining us for this podcast and uh we hope you'd enjoyed it and uh, we look forward to having you join us on future podcasts. Thank you very much.